We're podcasting from the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services. I'm Public Affairs Officer Taylor Henry, and today with me on the phone is Father Captain Matthew Whitehead of the U.S. Army. He's talking to us from Arlington National Cemetery. Welcome, Father Whitehead. Thank you. My pleasure to be here with you. It's our pleasure to have you. Uh, your path to the Catholic priesthood is uh, circuitous, to say the least. Uh, you started out as an Anglican, and uh, we're recording this on June 20th, less than a month ago, on May 31st in Houston, Texas. You were uh, ordained a Catholic priest. Can you tell me uh, how you came to discern your vocation as a Catholic? Well, uh, first thing I would say is that my, my path is a little bit more circuitous than you let on. I actually grew up as a Protestant evangelical in the South and became an Anglican during my days at a Protestant seminary, preparing to be a good evangelical pastor. So um, uh, the, the same things that led me from evangelicalism into Anglicanism, kind of the same things that led me on further into the Catholic Church. There was a desire to connect with the early church, this, this notion that there's, there's more to church history than the Protestant Reformation and beyond. And the Holy Spirit probably had something to do with that history from Pentecost until the Reformation. And if the Holy Spirit had something to do with it, then I should probably know a little bit more about it. Maybe I'm responsible to be a part of that history. So uh, those kinds of notions led me to start reading the Church Fathers and studying Church history, and uh, that's what led me into Anglicanism, and there developed a love for the sacraments, the sacramental life. Um, that, that idea of sacraments is not something that is shared with much of Protestantism, but of course Anglicans and uh, Lutherans and some other Protestants are very much sacramental people. Well, there are obviously a lot of beliefs that the Catholics have that uh, some of the Protestant denominations don't have, uh, one of them, of course, being the transubstantiation. Uh, did, you have, sure. uh, did you have trouble coming around to accept that? No, I, I would say I did come to it by degrees. It wasn't a, a day one, um, this I believe. But um, certainly in Anglicanism, the idea of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist um, is, is taught and thoroughly believed. And uh, once you're there, it's not hard to confess that it is actually the body and blood of Christ, not just a memorial presence or, or you know, in, with, under, and around, as, as is said in some circles. But, but the, the bread and the wine that are consecrated upon the altar, do really become the body and the blood of our Lord. Let's put this in t context. You are you were already a U.S. Army chaplain, correct? Correct. And uh, when did you uh, become an Army chaplain? I became an Army chaplain in 2010. I had been an Air Force Reserve chaplain for a little while, and through uh, some circumstances in life and some discernment, uh, it was determined that it was time to go active duty and, and be time in the chaplaincy. And the Army is where they were hiring. That's where my uh, 
bishop allowed me to apply, and and it's it's one of the best decisions I've ever made. I've thoroughly enjoyed my ministry in the army. And so, when you entered the army in 2010, how long had you been a clergyman at that point? I had been an, an Anglican priest for about two and a half years by that point. And I'd had some time in the parish as, as a pastor of a small parish in Arkansas. And before that, were you a minister in the uh, uh, an, an evangelical minister? No, I had been, uh, you know, deacon. So in the Anglican Church, you come up through the orders of, of the clergy, very much like our Catholic tradition. Um, you're made a deacon and then a priest. Um, so about 2004 is when transition from evangelical to Anglican happened. That was early on in my seminary days. And then um, became Anglican and was a, a layman as I went through seminary and serving at the altar, and then was made a deacon, served a, a curacy or a cure in a church in Raleigh, North Carolina, my hometown. And then when it was time to be ordained a priest, I received a call to a parish in Arkansas, was ordained a priest and sent there to be their pastor. And you were ordained into the Catholic Church on, as we mentioned, on May 31st in Houston through the personal ordinariate of the chair of St. Peter, which was set up by the Holy See in 2012 uh, for uh, Anglicans and others who uh, felt uh, drawn to the Catholic faith. What was involved, what was involved in, in, in uh, the, the Most Reverend Bishop Stephen J. Lopes uh, ordained you and three other chaplains on that same day. Uh, what was all involved in that transition? So for about two and a half years, we've been in formation, and we've been doing some studies um, through correspondence courses to supplement what we learned in our seminaries. We have been flying to Houston several times a year for intensive stuff. We've had uh, mentors who have been responsible to see us through this transition. So it, it's been uh, quite a long and, and involved process. What kind of reception have you received so far from Catholics and the armed services? I've received an absolutely wonderful and warm reception. Um, it's we tried to keep it a little bit secret at my current duty station just because it, we felt it was important that people didn't see me as their priest before I was their priest. But it's, you know, it's the worst kept secret in the world. It's, it's hard to keep good news like this under wraps. Um, and so for, for about a year now, people have been coming up to me and saying, thank you for giving yourself to the church. We can't wait for you to be here, to be our priest. So it has been an absolutely wonderful reception. You're married, correct? I am. As uh, one person told me before, I'm a little bit of a unicorn in the church <laughs> as a married priest. Any kids? Six going on seven this summer. So, <laughs> yes, a few kids. And uh, so that has to be quite an adjustment for some of the families that you're ministering to. Perhaps it is. Um, it, certainly... You know, we're not used to praying for our priest and his wife and children. That is, that is a relatively new thing culturally in, in the Catholic Church. But there are married priests 
even in the Roman Catholic Church and, you know, some of the, the Eastern Rites and, uh, of course, the Eastern Orthodox priests uh, have, have long been married and have families. So it's, it's not unheard of. It's just rare in our context. What kinds of conversations did you have with your family when you were discerning a vocation in the Catholic Church? Um, awkward. <laughs> they, they are still uh, good evangelicals who aren't too sure about the Catholic Church, so uh, we kind of stepped into it uh, very, very carefully. I grew up in, in the very anti-Catholic South and, and believed a bunch of things about the Church that just weren't true for a long time. So um, I have approached that very delicately with my parents and my in-laws, and and, and God has honored that patience and that um, delicacy with um, delicateness. Let's scratch that and, and uh, go uh-huh. back there. Uh-huh. Um, G- God has honored my patience with that process and, and having these conversations with my parents and my in-laws. And glory be to God, both of them attended my ordination and came out to support me and my family as I was ordained a priest in the Catholic Church. Do your wife and kids uh, attend uh, Mass when you're celebrating? They do. Um, of course, it's only been a few times as of right now, uh, but, but they were with me at my first Mass. That was actually in the hotel room the day after my ordination. Um, we had a Mass, and then I went off to a pilgrimage in Kansas in honor of Father Emil Capon, who, of course, is... Medal of Honor recipient, a chaplain, and has a cause for sainthood. And then my family was going on home uh, back here to Virginia. The next Mass that I celebrated publicly, you know, not a part of the pilgrimage, was for our ordinary community here in Virginia, in D.C., St. Luke's at Immaculate Conception. And then now I've begun my regular duties at the altar here at Fort Myers Chapel and uh, celebrated the Vigil Mass there this past weekend, and I will be covering Masses regularly uh, here at Fort Myer. So as you look back on the path that brought you to the Catholic Church, would you like to see more Anglicans, more Evangelicals convert like you did? Of course I would, yes. Um, I kind of jokingly say that the Canterbury Trail ends on the banks of the Tiber River. (laughs) <laughs> and, and when one finds themselves there, they have a choice. They can either swim or they can start walking back to Canterbury. <laughs> and uh, we, we chose to swim, and it's, it's been a, a good decision. It's not an easy decision. There's often many other things wrapped up in that decision, family dynamics. Uh, you're joining a, a, a church family that is large and diverse and global. So there's, there's a little bit of fear and unknown involved in the decision, but it's been a good decision. What was the thing that most drew you to the Catholic faith, and what was your biggest stumbling block? Uh, what, what was the biggest hurdle you had to overcome to make the conversion? Sure. Um, the decision, the, the biggest draw for this decision was the sacrament. The, it's no secret the turmoil going on in the Anglican world and that some of the turmoil is affecting the legitimacy and 
of, uh, of her sacraments. And so it was a very easy decision in that regard to go where the sacraments have been safeguarded and we believe will be safeguarded for all time, and that is in the Catholic Church. Um, as far as the difficulties, you know, with, 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 most, with most Protestants, I would say the biggest difficulty is understanding Our Lady. You know, mm-hmm. we are often accused as Catholics of worshiping the Blessed Virgin, and, and nothing could be further from the truth. But certainly we, we honor her. She is our Lord's mother. We had to understand who Our Lady is as our Lord's mother before we could understand who she is to us as Catholics, as individuals. And she's our, our mother, too, and a great example of holiness and maternity, of giving oneself to God. And also the very first disciple. Indeed, yeah. (laughs) Since since the moment of his conception, yeah. Um, Okay, so there's some other teachings that separate Catholics from other denominations. For example, praying for the faithful departed. Um, Some of the, uh, you know, other denominations don't believe that it's possible to or a prayer for the uh, someone who's deceased to, to make any difference at that point. Right. What What was your belief uh, regarding that particular teaching, or did you have one at the, uh, when you were back when you were an evangelical? As an evangelical, no. I mean, they most evangelicals would deny that that our prayers can have any effect for the dead. Um, but as you start down this road towards the Catholic Church, one of the things you recover early is the idea of a communion of saints, that great cloud of witnesses, as we read in the book of Hebrews. And uh, if there is a communion of saints, if our Lord is more powerful than death, then there is nothing that can separate us from one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So I ask their prayers all the time. I, I pray for my departed loved ones and pray that they're growing in holiness, and I pray that you know, ask their, their prayers for me. Certainly we ask the prayers of the saints. And I think that's the key to understanding all of these notions about purgatory, about um, Our Lady's place in the Church. Uh, if, if there is a communion of saints that spans life and death, then she has a great place of honor in that. Indeed. Did you catch any, uh, I don't know, uh, criticism from some of your former Anglican or evangelical friends? You know, I anticipated that I would, and I've not received um, much criticism. Uh, Certainly none directly. And every now and then things get back to you about somebody said this or somebody said that. The, the most amusing one to me is that I did this as a career move to, <laughs> you know, to ensure my career, which uh, so far all it's meant is the same pay I was receiving and about twice the work. <laughs> <laughs> well, with the chaplain shortage that we Catholics have in the military right now, uh, we can certainly understand that. But we appreciate, right. the, we, we appreciate your service and thank you for all the extra work that you're putting in. Well, thank you. It's good work and delightful work, and it's making me more holy. That's good to hear. From the standpoint of a military chaplain, 
do you foresee any differences in how you relate to the rank and file now that you're a Catholic as opposed to an Anglican? Not as of yet, um, and some of that might be that I'm in a unique assignment in the Army. I'm assigned to Arlington National Cemetery, so all I do is burial services for veterans and their, and their uh, eligible dependents. Um, I think when I get back into a line unit again, there will be some difference. But I had plenty of my soldiers... Um, in previous units, who would tell me, yeah, "Why aren't you Catholic? You you need to you need to become Catholic and be our priest." <laughs> so, uh, so some of that was kind of anticipated. So um, let's talk a little more about your background. Uh, where have you served as a chaplain? As a Air Force Reserve chaplain, I served at Little Rock Air Force Base there for about two and a half years until I went active duty in the Army. My first duty station there was Fort Sill, Oklahoma, with a heavy field artillery brigade. And uh, I didn't even know Fort Sill existed. I got my orders, I looked it up on the map, and I cried. Because <laughs> it's a long way from home. And, and I tell you, after three years there, I cried again when I got orders away from there. We loved our time in Oklahoma. And uh, maybe maybe the Army will see fit to send me back there again one day. I went from there to Fort Riley, Kansas, and uh, thoroughly loved Kansas. We fell in love with Kansas. I was privileged to conduct a wreath-laying ceremony on President Eisenhower's grave, which is 20 miles down the road from Fort Riley. Um, I was introduced to Father Emil Capon, whom I mentioned earlier while we were there his parish that he grew up in and then was pastor of uh, is right there in Pilsen, Kansas, about 50 miles away from Fort Riley. And then my third assignment as a captain has been Arlington National Cemetery. And this has just been an amazing assignment to hear the stories of honor and valor as I minister to the families in an hour of loss and, and preach the resurrection to them even as I lay their loved ones to rest with military honors. It's just been an absolutely wonderful way to minister for the past two years. Father Captain Matthew Whitehead of the U.S. Army joining us by phone from Arlington National Cemetery. Father Whitehead, thank you.